the plant manager was all excited. He said, this is the best results we've ever had. And it's so great. And all I did was gather feedback and listen to what they had to say. And it wasn't hard for me to do. This was so great. Everybody's excited. And then guess what happened? The company fired me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Because they realized that with all these people having more knowledge and changing their behavior, they were going to have to do the same thing. And they didn't want to. And this plant manager felt a lot better about the way he was running things. His people were happier. Everybody had now a cutting edge job skill that they didn't have before that also made them more valuable to the company. And if the company didn't recognize it, they could go somewhere else because now they have that skill, right? So they didn't lose, but they did lose because really the whole company could have gone to that next level. This is the Rebel HR Podcast the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Hello, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for the conversation today. With us, we have Marie Gervais. She has written a book that was just recently released called The Spirit of Work. It's currently available wherever books are sold. We are going to be talking all about the book. Dr. Marie Gervais is the CEO of Shift Management Incorporated, specializing in helping people grow into supervisory and managerial positions build their leadership confidence and skills to support their teams in meeting business objectives effectively. Uh, we are going to dig into that, uh, but first of all, I want to welcome you, Marie. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm honored. So I am I am just kind of waiting on the edge of my seat because uh, we had a we had a, a little bit of a conversation here um, before I hit record about uh, your book, The Spirit of Work. And uh, you mentioned that you had you had sent this to a couple HR professionals and they said, hey, this is a little bit too disruptive. And that's what we're all about here. So I, uh, I'm going to start with that lead in and I want to ask and maybe uh, start with the first question. What prompted you to write uh, your book, The Spirit of Work? Well, I am always looking for cross-cutting themes and for trends for the future of work. And Basically, I saw a new trend coming, and that trend is that uh, it's a holistic approach to HR that involves the individual, community, and the organization, and that approaches work from a perspective that is spiritual, scientific, and business at the same time. So that was what I wanted to do. It took me two years to research and write it, and... Um, I did have an experience where I went to uh, <laughs> Rebel HR. Um, what's the name of that? We just talked about it. The name uh, of Disrupt the, HR. Disrupt. That's right. Disrupt HR. I went to several of the their um, their events. I really liked them, and I spoke to the organizer, and she she said to me, "Oh, you should you should definitely submit um, a proposal because we'd love to feature you." And <laughs> I did submit the proposal about the book that I had not yet written, and she said, "No, this is this is too far out for us." But I don't think it is anymore because that was pre-COVID, and um, once people went through what they went through in COVID, their worlds changed and their um, mindsets changed, and they realized that things were not the same as they were before. And uh, I think an, um, a manager who, is, who manages electricians said it really succinctly. He said, I used to manage electricians, and now I play psychologist, and I'm not qualified for that. 
<laughs> and <laughs> so he said, I've never before had to deal with people's emotions and have to calm them down. They're electricians. They just did their job. And I have to calm them down. I have to listen to people. I have to figure out what, you know, what's going on in their lives. And I have to talk to them about work-life balance. And like, I never had to do this before. I'm totally unprepared. And so that I thought, well, I need to do something that will help people be more prepared. So I look, I've already looked at things from an emotional uh, regulation perspective, but I wanted to add in all the other parts too. So inside the book, we've got five themes. The first theme is bring your soul to work, and it's completely um, multi-denominational. It's about texts from all the sacred traditions. So it it takes uh, texts about work and about working and workplace from all these different sacred traditions that uh, that are really fascinating. I learned a lot when I researched it. Um, so so there's there's that, um, and so bring your soul to work. Bring your heart to work, bring your body to work, bring your mind to work, and you are bringing your community to work. Do you know who you're bringing? So those are the five themes. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a fascinating topic and I, it, it, it's the thing that you mentioned about, about COVID I think is, is it really resonates with me because I, before COVID would probably have been in the school of thought of, you know, yeah, I don't know about, I don't know how much all that touchy feely kind of spirituality, how much that actually should come into the workplace. Right. But what we've seen over the last few years, um, is the work has been thrust into many people's homes (laughs) and you can't, you can't really, you can't separate the, you know, the entire person from the workplace, you know, even physically, um, anymore, like we used to be able to do for so many jobs pre COVID and, and it's, it has prompted, you know, a conversation. And, and in my perspective, I've, I've kind of I've changed my thinking on that, where I do think it's really important to, to be more aware of that. Um, but I will, I will say the same thing that your leader of electricians said, which is I am, per, I'm totally unqualified. <laughs> <laughs> to 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 deal with some of these topics especially when we start talking about things like 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 soul and and spirituality um you know i've i've done my best to be an amateur psychologist as many hr professionals tend to get thrust into um but you throw you know you, you throw spirituality in there and that's a whole nother you know you know we we I, I can't be a, you know, a, a spiritual advisor at, at work. <laughs> no, so, no. so, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this topic. Like for, mm-hmm. for me, I think this, this makes a lot of sense. So as it's you were purpose though, if you think about spirituality as yeah. being about purpose yeah. and, you know, and, and the key questions in life, like, you know, who am I, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Um, is this the career I should be in? What's my future? Those are all spirituality questions and it helps people get their mind around it when they think about it that way. Um, and the book is not just another book about mindfulness, although mindfulness is really important, and I do talk about it in the book, because it it's too, it can be too much navel-gazing if people are only always focusing on themselves and their own feelings and their own needs, and it becomes really self-centered. So, um, you know, putting yourself in the perspective of how can you be of service to everybody else there, and that's how you develop your talents, is another aspect of spirituality that hasn't been used in the workplace much. And so people are saying, give me, give me, and employers are going, well, how much do I have to give? And it's, it's, it's a very unbalanced and unsafe way to live. 
So in the workplace. So um, if you're thinking, well, what can I do to make this workplace better? And how can I contribute? And how can my contribution be valued? And how can I value other people's contributions? That's all the spirit. So it's a little bit more approachable when you, I think, when you think about it that way. Well, when you look at this text from from the world religions, it's it's amazing. Like, um, for example, there are like nine nine tenets in Hinduism that have to do with work, and one of them, which really surprised me, I had to think about it for a long time, is packing up. And packing up, which is the idea that when you finish something, you let it go and move on. How many people hold on to some story that happened ten years ago because they haven't packed it up? They have to keep revisiting that same old thing and reinforcing the negative neural pathways, right? So just that, each time I run into one of those, I go, wow, if we even just did one of these things in the workplace, they'd be tra- the whole workplace would be transformed. I guarantee you, many of our listeners, myself included, uh, we're, we're thinking, yep, there's, yep, I know that person that's still hanging on to that thing from 10 years no ago. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago, so-and-so said that to me and they don't work here anymore, but I'm still mad about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that right. is so fascinating. I, you know, I love how you put that. You know, because I think we we hear the word spirituality, we hear the word soul, and there's you know, depending upon somebody's upbringing and and kind of their you know inherent biases, that there's certain connotations with that. But by but by labeling it as purpose, you know, it, it's fascinating because for me, I hear the word purpose, and immediately I think of well, work should provide a purpose for people, right? There sh- it should be a place where people feel like they're contributing. And that's also been a really strong correlation to somebody enjoying their work and being engaged in their work and staying <laughs> at, their, at their job for, for longer. And so I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting to, to kind of make that connection and, and think about that in a little bit of a different context than we have traditionally. Was that part mm-hmm. of the goal with the with the book? Yeah, it is. And and it has some models and some some easy to use, well, easy to imagine, but then apply not necessarily the same way. Um, themes that can be that can be used right away. So one of them is the idea of having uh, you know, thinking that what what am I saying, doing and thinking? Is it soul enhancing or soul diminishing? So soul enhancing promotes creativity, inclusivity, it encourages people to want to listen, to be curious about each other. To, to, to do things in an excellent way. Um, soul diminishing would be the opposite. It'd be judgmental. It'd be rude. It'd be, it's all about what I want and I don't care about you. And so if you start thinking about everything you're thinking, saying, and doing in that context, it really affects the way you act at work. Um, so kind of goes along with this, fa- the famous think ac- acronym, you know, so think, if, you know, is it true? Um, is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So that it, it's that kind of an idea that if you, if you think, if what I'm about to say or do, let me just suspend judgment for a second. Is this going to be soul enhancing or not? Um, and, and, th- and then you may or may not choose to do something that's positive. But the more you think about it, the more likely you are to autocorrect your behavior. So that's one piece. The other one is the SWELL acronym. So SWELL stands for safety wellness, uh, sorry, safety, well-being, encouragement, and learning. So if you think about everything in terms of safety, does how safe does it feel for a new employee to come into our organization? How safe do existing staff feel welcoming a new people in, a new person in? 
um, how safe is our product? How safe is our service? From birth to death cycle, all the people that are involved with it, is everybody in it safe? Is the planet safe after we finish with this? Right? So if you just, if you just think about that, it's going to revolutionize everything. And then once you start thinking about safety, then the next piece is well-being. And well-being isn't like gym memberships and a pool uh, in your manufacturing plant. It's like, how do I feel like I belong and I can contribute here? And how do I encourage other people so that they can feel that way too? So then that, it, that's a whole new take on well-being that, that it's, it's really, it doesn't involve any money. It just involves a shift in thinking. Uh, and then after that, it, replacing a culture of criticism with a culture of encouragement. It's just, criticism is just rampant everywhere. And um, I used to, when I did live presentations, I used to do a muscle test with anyone in the audience who wanted to do it, you know, a kinesiology muscle test. I'd say, everybody in the audience think of mean things about this person. I'm going to try and push their arm down. First, I'd just test their arm so that you, they could see that the person did have an arm. It was functioning properly. <laughs> and then next, I'd think mean things. And the person's arm would go down and there was nothing they could do. I usually ask someone who is the strongest you know, most buff person in the audience to come and volunteer to do it. And then afterwards I say, now think all the things you really love about this, about this person. And, um, and their arm was super strong. I'd hang on it and dangle my feet off of their arm and they'd go, whoa, I didn't think I had that much muscle, you know? So the way you think about people affects their performance. So, um, so that if you think encouraging thoughts about people, or if you go, wait a minute, I'm feeling judgmental. What's missing? Oh, I'm probably missing sleep. Oh, I, I didn't have lunch. Or, you know, instead of thinking what's wrong with that person. Um, and then and then what could I say that would be encouraging, sincerely encouraging? The encouragement really builds capacity in an organization. And then if you're always learning, and if the organization is always learning, you can come into the swell model at any point. Um, it, Learning, encouragement, well-being, or safety. Either way, it's going to make a big difference in the way people view each other at work. So um, I always like to start with safety, though, because I think you can go to so many places with safety. Intellectually safe, culturally safe, racially safe. (laughs) It goes way, it goes beyond all the ideas of just, you know, being compliant. Absolutely. So I, I am curious, you know, the, you, you mentioned that there's, you know, five different, you know, kind of five different aspects of the book, the soul, the heart, the body, mind, and the community. Is there a reason that you put them in that order? Is that, is that like a foundational order that you found in, in some of your work or, or, you know, kind of walk me through those, how you kind of derived those five? Well, I think the first one, bring your soul to work is most, the most disruptive. So I wanted to start with that. And then what happens at the end with you are bringing your community to work, but do you really know who you're bringing? Because it talks about our um, unconscious biases and how to make adjustments to that. So then that's also hard hitting. Um, and the one that I think people are, would have the least trouble with, but and on, their, on a cognitive level, but the most trouble doing is bring your body to work because we just drive ourselves to, you know, into illness all the time. And pride ourselves in, you know, not getting enough sleep and not eating regularly and, you know, and then add addictive substances to that. And, you know, 30% of the workplace is under the influence of some substance at all times, and it's probably increasing. So, because that's five years old. Um, So, you know, people can't be at their healthy body best. So, I go through everything starting with breathing or all the way up to how, what should you eat and how should you be if you're working night shift? 
So, and there's a lot of research on that. So it's, it's really, it was really interesting to research it. It's, it seems like people are, they're thinking more body fo- focused, but they're still in their minds when they're doing it. They're not actually moving to action. So, um, and they often can't because they have a lot of beliefs associated with how they treat themselves. So that, um, that piece, like I, I thought that would be the easiest one for people to get into, but once they do get into it, they'll have the hardest time doing it. I actually think the other things that are harder to get your mind around are easier to do. Interesting. Yeah, it's the, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of dialogue around, you know, what we would like, what we would consider to be like traditional wellness, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. take care of yourself, eat right, drink enough water, um, you know, get up from your desk you know, on a regular basis. Don't sit too much, you know, all those sorts of things. It's really easy to, it's really easy to say know it. what to do. Yeah. It's easy to say it. That doesn't mean it's, yeah, it's, that, that doesn't mean that it actually gets done. <laughs> because knowledge does not change behavior. Right, right. Never, it never has. Yeah. So, so how do we, as, as an HR professional, you know, kind of understanding these? And, and first of all, I, you know, I think I, I'm definitely with you on these five. And I've, I, I can think of personal stories with each one of these five where I can, I've seen examples where somebody has been, you know, on the good side of that and somebody's been on the bad side of that. And you can kind of think through like, well, somebody's, you know, body is not where it needs to be. I either, yeah, they're under the influence of a substance or they, you know, or they have, um, you know, they're struggling with, with, you know, health issues. They, they aren't, they can't be as effective at work. Uh, same thing for somebody bringing implicit biases into work and, you know, not even realizing that the, they're, conducting microaggressions <laughs> and they, and they don't know it, you know, they, mm-hmm. because of the, their community and the way they were brought up, you know, I think we've all kind of seen that. So how do us it, in, in our seat where we're kind of the, you know, the, the culture champions and we're, we're the ones trying to make this a great place to work and really focus on employee experience and bring the right people in. And um, how do we transfer this knowledge of these, these uh, elements and actually turn that into action. You know, what, what, what are some tactics or some steps that you would recommend for us to start to think about or some actions that we can, we can start to do uh, to reflect uh, really what the spirit of work can be? Well, I think the first thing is to accept people from where they're at rather than trying to change them into who you think they should be or what they should be doing. So it's like I can accept that that's way, the way you're feeling right now. But that doesn't mean you have to act on it, right? Um, I can accept that this is upsetting for you. I'd probably be upset too. Did I get that right? So it's about accepting and then using a, a, a verifying question afterwards. That usually lowers people's defenses and helps them to start think and thinking and autocorrecting. Uh, another thing you can use is to just name what you think the emotion is that they're feeling. Um, I think you're feeling really frustrated right now. Did I get that right? And they will automatically tell you either, yes, I'm so frustrated, and then they'll tell you what it is, and then they get it off their chest, and then they're done, and they start regulating because they've already named it. Or they'll say, no, no, that's not it at all. I'm so upset because my teenage son mouthed mouthed me off when I was leaving for work this morning, and I'm still mad about it. It's three hours ago, right? So they may not tell you all of that, but I'm just giving you as an example um, to ask you know, to name what you think the emotion is 
and then say, did I get that right? It puts you in a position of humility and um, that you're listening and paying attention and then they, they can correct you and they settle down. So I think that that's one of the things that can, that those are some strategies that can be helpful. I've also, I also use in the book um, something that's not from me. It's from the Virtues Project, but it's, it's called a Virtues Sequence. Um, and I'm um, using the language of virtues at work. And so, like, when you start telling people, wow, that was just so thoughtful of you, and I really appreciated your generosity, or how can you show courage? I know you did it yesterday, and it's tough, but, it, you know, and in your shoes, I'd have a hard time, but how can you show courage? I know you've got it. I know you're resilient. That's all virtues, 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 virtues. People don't have a virtues vocabulary, emotions vocabulary, and they don't have a descriptive vocabulary, so they can't name anything that's going on inside of them, and that's why they're volatile. So if you can help them with any of those three pieces, then they start um, they start self-correcting. And it's not really your job to correct them. It's just your job to create that kind of environment where they can they can do it themselves. So there's that. The virtuous sequence is truth, love, justice, unity, peace, and abundance. So usually people go, oh, if we just equally distribute stuff, everybody's going to be happy. So you're starting at the top with abundance, but that's the last piece of the puzzle. The first one is you have to find out what the truth of the situation is. You usually can't find that out unless you've checked with all the parties and tried to do a 360 to find out what's actually happening, what's really going on. And, and that even to say to somebody, you know, are you sure that this is true for you right now? Is this true for the situation? Just asking those kinds of probing questions. And the other thing is love, which is the idea that Nobody's going to care um, about anybody else in the organization if they don't care about them. Like they won't care about anything or anybody unless they feel some kind of a bond, some kind of a connection with them. So find out the truth. And if you want to, truth and love then lead to justice because then you're going to want to make sure that people are treated equitably and that nobody gets the short end of the stick because you're coming from a truth and love basis. And once you've got justice, you can move to unity, but you don't get to unity if you have any justice. You don't say kiss and make up. Like, let's say you've got somebody who's been bullied in the workplace. You don't take those two people in to your office and say, okay, now let's just talk it out and kiss and make up because they're in a different power differential. So the person who's at the, who's, at, who's abusing the power can use that, that whole scenario to make everything worse. So um, you can't get to unity. If you don't have justice. So then again, you'd need to go back and talk to each person separately, which HR people are really good at, you know, talk to each person separately, find out the situation, and then find out what, what would one thing that could be brought together. And then how can the victim be, be um, protected, but also find agency? And how can the bully f- find out what, what, it, what do they really need and that, that they feel they need to bully other people? And then how can they start autocorrecting their behavior? And if they can't, what do you need to put in place? So that kind of, it's a different approach because when you're taking it from that perspective of the virtue sequence, which is present in all the writings of all of the world religions in exactly that order. So there's got to be some wisdom to it or it wouldn't have existed for 6,000 years. So then, and then from unity comes peace. So you feel peace when people are united and you're working towards unity of purpose, but it's not unity of in conformity. It's unity of purpose with diversity of contribution. And then out of that comes abundance. It's a natural outcome. So that means that your company profits. I don't know if that makes sense because that's really more of a, a, I suppose, a theoretical approach. But it really, if you can look at a situation and go, okay, what's missing here? Is it justice? Is it truth? (laughs) And you you figure out where it is on the sequence, on the scale, and then you'll go, okay, if it's truth, then we got to start from square one. If, if, if anybody was actually watching this podcast, because this is obviously an audio-only format, you would see 
the like the wheels turning in my head because what's so fascinating i'm sitting here first of all i'm just thinking yes <laughs> like on all of these things this just makes perfect sense and and i'm i'm going back to kind of what what we've talked about a little bit is it going back to kind of the language and kind of naming you know naming the actual um virtues to me i just think is so powerful and what you know the context that i'm thinking about that in is um let, let's just use a scenario let's say that i'm i'm working through a workplace harassment investigation and i do have a victim and a and a and a harasser you know and and we've been taught some of us you know learned the hard way myself you know <laughs> there wasn't a class on how do you conduct a harassment investigation in in college you know you 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 stumble through it you have a maybe a a couple trainings from your employer and then you're off to the races, like, good luck. Don't screw it up. Right. Don't get us sued. That's basically the training. Um, but by thinking about it in the framework of what you just described, truth, love, justice, unity, I'm missing one. Peace uh, and peace abundance and abundance. Um, to me, it's like, now you've got a framework, you know, so obviously there's, there's rules that you need to follow as it relates to conducting an investigation. But if you follow it in the context of the virtue that you are trying to achieve in each step of that investigation, what a powerful framework yeah. to ensure that you make the right decision for your culture and for that person. And I think all of us who've ever been through that scenario know this hard. This is really, really hard yeah. to get correct. And and so, you know, more often than not, there it's unclear as to what the right answer is. A lot of times it's a judgment call and a lot of times it falls on HR's desk, you know. But if we can take a step back and feel confident that we we follow these virtues, then we can sleep at night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I and think hopefully it our is- employees can too. Yeah, no, that's, I really, you totally get it. It's very, it's really wonderful to hear you get that so quickly. <laughs> um, can I tell you a, a manufacturing story that? Please. So this is one of the stories that's in the, in the book. So it's a, it's a story about a, a plant manager who, who, you know, he said, you know, I don't need to consult anybody else um, because I'm the one with the education and the experience here. That's why I have this, this job and this title. And I know you're rolling your cool. eyes. People can't see that. So I said, well, hey, we're, we're doing a course together here. So, um, and you have to consult because we're on the communications unit and you have to ask people their opinion and gather feedback because that's the goal of this particular unit, right? So you're going to have to do something. He says, okay, okay, okay. Well, I've got this rollout project coming up and I'm just going to tell them about it. I've got a PowerPoint. I'll tell my, you know, my, my middle managers about it and then they can, they can take it from there. So he starts to go through this this presentation with these um, middle managers and one person says uh can we can i stop you for a minute and within about 10 minutes they'd identified 11 flaws to his plan mm. Mm. and he was <laughs> absolutely flabbergasted because he, he didn't think he needed anyone because he figured he was the sum of all knowledge apparently so um but he was a nice guy it's just he was used to being right and having other people following his orders all the time and not used to listening to them or gathering feedback so incorrect data leads to incorrect decisions right so so when he had got that from them he said okay so what what do you think we should do next which i think was a brilliant and very humble approach and they said well we should talk to our people about it and he said well that's a bad idea because most of them don't even speak english properly so how are you going to understand them so right away switched back into his default mode of i know what i'm doing they don't 
And they said, well, no, we've got ways to work around that. You know, we've got people who can translate and let, let us just give us a week to, to get some feedback and we'll come back to you with it. So we did. And they found another 10 problems with the rollout plan. And they also had suggestions for how to fix it. So when, by the time it got back to the plant manager, the rollout plan was pretty flawless because they'd had many minds, many hearts, <laughs> many souls, and many bodies saying, this is going to hurt. Can we do it this way instead? Talking. Um, and so it, it was it was really exciting to see what happened, and they discovered an unexpe- two unexpected things. One was, why was the plant not doing something to help in- people improve their English? Because people stay at a very low level, and they can't participate in anything if they can't speak the language of the country, right? And the second one was, people didn't know what the numbers were that they were asked to collect. They wouldn't know what they were for, what they were used from. So... One of the supervisors said, well, I'll just explain it to everybody. So he did. He explained it to them and showed them what it, and they got, all the employees got very excited because they realized they could control the numbers. So they started to do things like set themselves a goal, like no damage leaving from shipping, like no rework. Like they started setting these goals for themselves because they knew what they were doing. They had the knowledge to, to put it into place and they were so excited about it they called their family members and friends and other plants of the same company and taught them how to do it <laughs> and so he the plant manager was all excited he said this is the best result we've ever had and it's so great and all i did was gather feedback and listen to what they had to say and it wasn't hard for me to do this was so great everybody's excited and then guess what happened the company fired me <laughs> uh-oh because they realized that with all these people having more knowledge and changing their behavior, they were going to have to do the same thing, and they didn't want to. So I'm saying I'm telling you this because it's not like the book is like all these rosy pictures and this is like clouds in the sky and everybody's happy. It's it's do this and it's going to start seeing results, but you're likely going to have some problems along the way, and you may not be able to solve them. <laughs> But you're going to feel better about it. And this plant manager felt a lot better about the way he was running things. His people were happier. Everybody had now a cutting edge um, job skill that they didn't have before that also made them more valuable to the company. And if the company didn't recognize it, they could go somewhere else because now they have that skill, right? So they didn't lose, but they did lose because really the whole company could have gone to that next level. That's really interesting. And I I think it... I think on the macro level, we're seeing a lot of things very similar to that, where you've got organizations who have been really demanded to change, you know, from from a, an employee base. I mean, I can't tell you how many headlines I've seen recently where, you know, you know, employees are demanding this from this employer and employers are demanding that from, from that employer. And, you know, I, I, I view that as, uh, first of all, it's like, you know, they should be asking for for things that they would like, but it's also, I think, indicative of a, of the challenge that many organizations have, which is, it's sometimes it's really hard to change, mm-hmm. especially if you have you know leadership teams, HR people included that that you know don't don't listen and and don't follow some of these you know some of these tenants and and well, it's because it doesn't feel safe to them. They right, feel threatened. Right. They feel threatened. So, and that's why this well model is so important. Right. What feels unsafe about this for me? What would make it feel safer for me to move forward? What would be one step that would be safe for me to take? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I think um, you know, I think it's a really powerful 
story. It's a really, but I think it's a really interesting example. And I, <laughs> I can certainly, you know, I, I mean, I work in manufacturing, so I, I understand uh, that response, you know, well, I, I have this degree and I know how to do it. So that's, you know, let me do my job. <laughs> well, he was, times. <laughs> he was doing his job, but it was better when he right, started right. working with the people. Uh, you know, that's why they say two heads are better than one. Well, you put all the heads together towards a united purpose. You actually, they're excited. They really, they were so excited to have been asked. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But I, I do think it's also, you know, it, it's a great example of, how, like in that story, I just think, well, geez, how could I have prevented that termination? You know, how could I have fostered that type of collaboration? Because, you know, so often human resources professionals fall into that camp of the, um, you know, kind of that feedback mechanism to upper management, you know, or, or sometimes we're gatekeepers to what information finds its way <laughs> onto somebody's desk. And so it's, you know, and I don't know the exact situation there, but I do think, geez, if there if there would have been somebody in human resources that was was kind of touting the 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 actions that were being taken and the employee engagement that was occurring and some of the productivity metrics that were happening and the actual, you know, talking about the abundance that was occurring because of the because of the approach, you know, could that have prompted a different action or could that have have prevented, you know, somebody getting in trouble? And I do think that is part of our job as we think about, you know, to, to what your book is, is, is talking about here. How does HR actually create a soul sustaining workplace culture and an environment for that to thrive and for those types of leaders to thrive? Cause I think every listener um, right now is thinking, man, I wish I, you know, I wonder if I can hire that plant manager, you know, do you have a, <laughs> like, that sounds great. I'd love for people to get, get employees well, engaged. And their and, plant managers are probably <laughs> capable of doing it. They just need someone to spark it. Right. So there you go. Maybe they should hire me instead. There you go. All right. So <laughs> that's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect place to leave it. I think uh, if you, if you take anything away, be the spark um, and, uh, and the spirit of work, I think just some really great, great pieces of advice. Um, I do want to shift gears. I'm fascinated to hear your responses to the Rebel HR flash round. So we're going to we're gonna shift into the Rebel HR flash round. Here comes the first question. Where does HR need to rebel? Stop thinking that information or knowledge change behavior. And instead, listening, encouragement, and challenge, appropriate challenge, are a better approach. I love that. Not just knowledge. It's about it's about what you do with it, right? Knowledge is helpful because it provides a safe platform to start from, but it doesn't help if you stay there because then you just get stuck in, I don't have to do anything because I already know it, which is never true. Right, right. All right, question number two. Who should we be listening to? Well, I'm going to recommend Adam Grant, who's a social psychologist. I'm just about finished listening to his book right now called Think Again, which is just it's tremendous. And if you want to know how to change behavior, this is the book for you. <laughs> it's so good. Shout out to Adam Grant. I hope I get to meet him someday because he's one of my uh, writer heroes. Uh, yeah, that book, Think Again, all his books are great, but this is the most recent one is, is super good. It talks about how you need to rethink yourself and, uh, and then how do you help others to do that? And then how do you help people who are diametrically opposed to you uh, 
come to a, a position of unity of thought. It's really good. He's got some great content. I think that's the second recommendation in a row for Adam Grant. So if, if, if you're a listener and you haven't picked up an Adam Grant book or listened to his podcast or just follow him on social, you know, there, there's great content there. I am going to put out a, a plug here for the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. It's Marie's podcast. Um, if I, I guarantee you that uh, it'll be worth your, your while if you're looking for a new podcast recommendation that is also out there. So Thank you. Um, and last question here, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, they can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, so Marie Gervais, Leaders Training. It's, that's, that's, you know, leader training is like that's the second part. And if because there are lots of Marie Gervais out there. Um, and they can also go to my website, which is shiftworkplace.com. And if they're interested in the book, they just go to the book tab. And then all of the directories where there's a direct link to the book will be there. Perfect. We will have all that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, click right in, uh, get connected. Uh, Marie, I just want to thank you again. Just absolutely wonderful contact. Um, I'm with you. You know, I'm just thinking yes to everything you're saying. So I appreciate you uh, putting the book out there. And I guarantee that our listeners took a lot away from it this week. So thank you so much. Thank you. Most appreciated your listening ear and your great questions. Thanks, Marie. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.